Back to School is the Season of Learning. So September, we're doing this series on Back to School to talk about the spirituality of learning and unlearning. I love this quote by Alvin Toffler, who's a futurist. He said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Feminist Gloria Steinem said, the first problem for all of us is not to learn, but to unlearn. And my favorite theologian of all time, you must unlearn what you have learned, says Yoda. Unlearning is hard, though, because it requires us to admit that, that we might be wrong, that we might not have the full picture of reality. And we don't like that feeling. It's very uncomfortable. Our egos don't like the feeling of being wrong. And there's a physiological reason for that, evolutionary reason for that. Our ego um, is there, kind of the animal part of our brain to keep us alive. And if we're taking in new information all the time that challenges our current worldview and mindset, our, our mind almost sees that as a threat. It's overwhelming. And so our mind tries to protect us from all this new information, even if the information is true, tries to protect us. So we don't like to be wrong. We don't like to unlearn and relearn and change our views. It's hard. Do you all know anyone in your life that has a hard time changing their views? Uh, we all have a little bit of a stubborn streak in us, and there's kind of an evolutionary reason for that. Do you know anyone in your life or in society who acts like they're the center of the universe? We all do at times, for sure. For most of human history, Humans have believed that we are the center of the universe, literally. Um, Aristarchus lived about 300 years before Jesus, and he was one of the first to propose that the planets revolve around not the earth, but the sun. And he was seen as heretical for his views, and some people wanted to put him on trial for that. And that view of the earth not being the center of the universe stayed quiet for almost 2,000 years until we know of Copernicus. We all learned about him in grade school. He was a heretic for his views. Um, and he published some of the first evidence that this is, in fact, true, that the earth is not the center of the universe. Martin Luther, with Protestant Reformation, uh, had some strong words for Copernicus. There's talk of a new astrologer who wants to prove that the earth moves and goes around instead of the sky, the sun, the moon. The fool wants to turn the whole art of astronomy upside down. However, as Holy Scripture tells us, as the Bible clearly says, Joshua bid the sun to stand still and not the earth. Literal reading of the Bible says that the earth is flat and the earth is center of the universe. The earth doesn't move heresy. Galileo later presented his views, evidence that, that supported Copernicus. He was also seen as a heretic. He was exiled the church by the church. Um, the church persecuted him for it. Uh, jump a couple hundred years later to Vienna, Austria, 1847. There's an obstetrician named Ignaz Simmelweis. He was overwhelmed in his hospital with the number of women, mothers, who were dying during childbirth. And he wanted to figure out why. So he researched the practices of the physicians in his hospital and found that those who washed their hands before delivering the baby had a less 
likely chance of dying. So he instituted the practice of hand washing for his doctors. And he published his research. And the world um, completely ostracized him and ignored his research. Um, but sure enough, the mortality rate of women plummeted in his hospital. This was well before they knew anything about germs or bacteria. He just knew that something about washing hands kept mothers from dying, and that mattered. And he was ignored for that. And 1865, uh, because of the outright rejection that he faced, he went into a deep, deep depression, alcoholism. Another doctor lured him to an asylum. Uh, a couple weeks after that, he was beaten by the guards there, and he died. And it was a tragic story of someone who tried to present true information, and people couldn't take it. Because changing our views, changing how we do things, changing how we think, it's too hard. For some reason, it wasn't worth saving lives of women. Crazy. <laughs> so crazy. Ridiculous. Unlearning is a threat to the ego. 2013 University of Michigan study found that after going to the bathroom, only 5% of people washed their hands well enough to actually get rid of the germs and bacteria that spread infection and disease. So lots of people wash their hands, but you know, a little dab under the sink for two seconds and then, all right, wash my hands. 5% of people do it well enough to get rid of germs. It's not enough to just know something. It's not enough to have knowledge. It's not enough to, um, to know something that's true. Um, we also have to be able to change and adapt and relearn. So will you now wash your hands for two minutes every time you go to the bathroom? <laughs> it's harder to put into practice, even if we know new information. We have to change how we live based on that new information. Unlearning, relearning, it's hard. It's a threat. So the Vatican, who uh, exiled Galileo for his heretical views, in 1992, I believe, 350 years after Galileo, they finally admitted they were wrong. And they admitted that Galileo was right. It took them 350 years to admit they were wrong. It's hard to do. Proverbs has some wisdom on this. 1215, fools see their own way as right, but the wise listen to advice. This is great relationship advice. <laughs> fools see their own way as right. The wise listen. My view may not be the full picture of reality. I might be missing something here. There might be other perspectives in this situation that I'm not fully seeing. There are certainly other experiences that I don't know of. This person's experience is very different than mine. Maybe I need to shut up and listen to theirs. That is great relationship advice. Write that down. That's something I'm still working on. Unlearning is necessary, though. Relearning, the, the humility that comes with that is a part of change. If you're not learning and relearning and unlearning, you're not growing. You're dying. Jesus had a word for that concept of unlearning and relearning. And it was our English word for repent. When I hear repent, I think of the people at Seattle Pride on the corners with their sign. Uh, it says, repent, to turn or burn. 
Repent is actually an English translation from a Latin word back to the original Greek word of metanoeo, based on two Greek words. Meta means to go beyond or to transcend. Um, the Weber Dictionary says, meta describes a subject in a way that transcends its original limits. The second word that repent is made of means mind or using the mind or thinking. So repent means to transcend your thinking, to go beyond how you're currently thinking and move past it to a new way of thinking. Over time, that word has been reduced down to feel guilty for what you've done wrong and admit it. That is such a tiny little piece of what there's so much deeper meaning behind that word repent. And at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, the oldest gospel we have, he has Jesus starting his ministry. Oh, I've totally forgot about this. This is a so stupid dad joke. I just, Facebook changed, Facebook changed their name to Meta, right? And I thought, how ridiculous and funny would it have been if they used the Bible translation of the Greek word instead? Facebook, repent and believe in Facebook. It's so stupid. I'm glad I skipped that. I guess I didn't, did I? Mark 1.15, Mark has Jesus starting his ministry saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Don't feel guilty for your sins and admit it. He says, it's time to transcend your way of seeing God in the world. And the only way to enter the kingdom of God, to be a part of God's reality, is if we change how we think about everything. That's the starting point to salvation, to following Jesus, to Christianity, to any of it. To salvation, another word for human flourishing, the starting point is repent, meaning change how we see everything. Learn, relearn, unlearn. I love that. I wish I hadn't gone so much of my life before knowing that deeper meaning of repent. I don't know why English translators chose repent rather than they could have just used a sentence to explain that, but it's, that word has done so much to cause shame for people. We can change that. I love that Jesus starts with this. It's the whole starting point for his ministry. That's what he was trying to do with the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for them and hope for their flourishing and their healing. And Luke, Jesus engages with a guy who actually practices this deeper idea of repent. Um, Jesus goes into a town, Jericho, and the crowds are super curious about him. And so they kind of come to see him walk into the city. And this guy named Zacchaeus wants to get a good look. Um, Zacchaeus um, had some evolutionary issues. He was too short. He couldn't see over people. So he climbed a tree to get a better look at Jesus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So a tax collector in Palestine worked for Rome. He would take taxes from people. Usually they would pocket some of them and then give the rest to Rome. So they would essentially make you pay double taxes so that you, the tax collector could profit. They weren't very popular people. <laughs> 
They were seen as quite evil. Um, and so Zacchaeus wants to get a good look at Jesus because all the rumors of him. Jesus walks into the city, sees Zacchaeus in the tree, walks underneath him and says, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm getting dinner and drinks at your house tonight. The religious people around him, Jesus is supposed to be this divine prophet from God, righteous. He says, who is this guy who would eat with sinner? Who, who is this guy that would associate with a person who is so evil? And so Jesus goes and eats with the sinner. And something about their interactions transformed uh, how Zacchaeus saw the world. Because um, after their dinner and drinks, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And anyone that I cheated, I'm going to give them four times back. I don't know what Jesus said during that dinner, but he repented. He completely transformed his worldview. Everything that he had been taught about society and people who are impoverished and economy of taxes and his role in all of that and what's normal and okay because society and his job just said it is, all of that was questioned when he interacted with Jesus. He said, nah, I have a no, new, whole new way of seeing the world, whole new world, whole new way of seeing the world. And it's causing me to change how I live. It was beautiful. And so this is a crazy thing. Jesus says, now I tell you, salvation has come to this house because of what Zacchaeus said. He didn't say salvation has come to Zacchaeus. He said it's come to this house, this whole space, this whole place. Salvation transformation, healing, human flourishing has come to this place. Not because Zacchaeus said, I am a sinner and I want Jesus to come into my heart and I accept him as Lord and Savior. Jesus didn't say that. I mean, there's definitely serious life change that happened. Allegiance changed. But it's what Zacchaeus said he would do with his resources that led to salvation, human flourishing. I think that's profound, not to be ignored. Zacchaeus, if he was able to unlearn and relearn a new way of being, that gives us some hope, gives me some hope. So how do we do that? A couple things, we question everything. If you come to this church, you're probably already good at questioning. Um, we love questioning. Uh, because when we are certain, we have the answer. Uh, um, we get stuck. We can't change. We can't grow. We become prideful. Become really prideful. Jake and I were at Wild Goose Festival, Progressive Christian Festival, and he did this song there. It was really good. And one of my favorite authors, uh, historian and theologian, Diana Butler, Butler Bass, uh, was being interviewed, and she was asked a really provocative question. She said, what is a weakness, a weak spot for progressive Christians or for um, liberal Christians in our society? Um, kind of caused us to, her to look inside, be introspective, and Diana said, I think a weak spot for progressive people is pride. Because we, I do identify as more progressive, um, tend to look at those who are conservative, say they are wrong in their thinking, they're wrong in their worldview. I am right in my worldview. 
They are unwilling to change their mind. I am. But my thinking I'm right, that I have the right answer, is just as prideful and egotistical as the people I'm accusing of not being able to change. On both ends of the spectrum, we have pride, we have ego, we have an unwillingness to learn, an unwillingness to repent, to change our worldview, to admit that we don't know everything there is about a situation, about a policy issue, about a war, about whatever is going on in the world. We don't have all the information. We do the best we can with what we have and be willing to change what we know. Be willing to start washing our hands to keep mothers from dying rather than be threatened by something new. So question everything. Question everything. Uh, don't ex don't uh, think just because someone is an expert in their field that it is 100% the truth. Even in college, my professors taught us what we're teaching you now will be outdated by the time you graduate because either we'll realize something wasn't quite right, something was maybe way wrong, or we've added new information to what we already knew. So always be willing to question everything, even the experts. And then that requires you to be curious. So curiosity is a sacred value we have as a church. Be curious. I have to apply this my own um, issues, my own anger. You know, when I'm driving down the road and I lash out at someone and yell when they cut me off. Sometimes the first way for me to come down from that is to talk to myself. Devin, what was going on? What was going on there? What are you dealing with? What are you thinking about? What are you struggling with that caused you to react in that way? Uh, be curious about your own behavior, about your own reactions. Say, huh, why did I just do that? Why did I just, what's going on here? What's under the surface? That's a sacred spiritual value to be curious, to be open. So I want us to uh, spend a few minutes and finish out the sermon by talking in groups. And I don't have papers because I want to keep the question very simple. Um, what in your life have you had to unlearn about God, the Bible, religion, politics, the world? Why did you change your views on that? What led you to change? Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about more how to interact and engage with people who it seems are refusing to listen, to change their views. Uh, how do we actually practice some of this? And how do we build boundaries in those situations? Um, so you can talk about that too. Do you have anyone in your life that you really struggle with on issues? Um, every one of us is constantly in the process of change. The question is whether I'm open to it or resistant to it. But I believe that if our lives are rooted in love and God, then we should be open to going beyond our way of thinking into a more loving way of knowing and being. So I want to close with a prayer, which is a quote by Maya Angelou. She said, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. So may we be curious this week. Maybe we open to transcending our way of thinking into a fuller picture of reality so that we can love better, so that we can understand the experiences of others.
So may you be curious. Go in peace.